How long has it been since you've been to a skating rink? For me, up until recently, it had been many, many years. And if you're like me, you do have a lot of nostalgia wrapped around those rinks. Remembering all the time you spent there as a kid, the music, the lights, the disco balls, the rather unpleasant smell of communal skates, <laughs> the concessions, arcade, the neon accessories available for purchase. My youngest daughter recently informed me she had a field trip coming up soon and that she wanted to brush up on her skills and she asked me if I would take her and I told her that I would and so we selected a Saturday we put it on the calendar when the day came I secretly hoped that she might forget not that I didn't want to spend time with her but the thought of going to the skating rink when you're over 40 it hits differently than when you were a kid we get there we pay our money we walk in and I can confirm without any hesitation that the skating rink is exactly as you remember it. <laughs> the music, the lights, the disco balls, the rather unpleasant smell of communal skates, concession arcade, neon accessories, the works. It was like a time capsule. We hadn't even laced up those familiar tan and orange skates. Before the announcement came over the PO, PA that the, the limbo was about to start. <laughs> the same song that started that I'd heard decades before questioning, how low can you go? I used to wonder as a child how low I could go. I can definitively answer that now <laughs> without ever skating foot on the floor. Not very low, sir. <laughs> Not very low at all. In fact, I might need some help getting up right afterwards. <laughs> Thankfully, it took long enough to lace up our shoes and the skates that the limbo contest lingered no more. And my daughter had had very little skating experience, so she needed some help initially. So I was there holding her hand and I got out on the rink with her and we skated together and she went kind of from shuffling to skating after just a few times. And with the help of the wall and my brief lesson, well, she began to get it down. I was forced to make a decision then because my work was basically done. I could skate back to the side and, and sit and be on my phone like a normal parent, <laughs> scrolling, looking up occasionally to take a photo or a video, or I could keep skating. And I decided to keep skating. And before too long, I was going a little faster. I was taking the corners like a kid. And a familiar old song came on, and I admit, I was enjoying myself. But a grown man, over 40, who looks like he's having a great time at the skating rink, can cause some questions to arise. <laughs> it was around this time that I saw a girl trying to convince her dad, who by the way was much older than I am, to come out and skate. Come on, dad. She looked directly at me as I passed by. And she said, look at that guy. He's doing it like 
If he can do it, anyone can do it, Dad. <laughs> like, look how he defied the odds and got out there. Good for you, buddy. Look at him out there. He should be at home, seated, sipping soup somewhere with an Afghan on his lap. <laughs> Which, to be fair, does kind of sound like my best Saturday. I was thinking, I'm here to spend time with my daughter. Leave me alone and get off my lawn while you're at it. But I was getting frustrated with this, thinking, oh, people are watching me. And after I heard that, it's like it triggered something in my mind. I began to look around, and I was the only person over 20 on the rink. And I could see all the parents on the side attending birthday parties and I just imagined what they were thinking as they saw me had it gone from oh look at him that dad helping his daughter to what's that guy doing out here why is he kind of good at skating who's still skating at skating rinks at that age I bet he has his own skates <laughs> I think he was here last week remember when we were at the other party I think that's the same guy oh my goodness I don't know that he ever left like I'd just been out there, skating, weaving, sweating hour after hour, day after day, lost in the music. Well, I casually skated out of the rink and sat down, scrolled on my phone, looking up occasionally to take a photo or video. It occurred to me that skating was even now more of a slippery slope than it once was. I no longer felt comfortable. It was evident to me that, well, I just didn't belong. You've been there before, you've felt like an outsider, not included, like you don't belong. We all share a deep desire to belong, don't we? Certainly evident in childhood, your earliest memories of these instances began there. You weren't asked to play with them, you weren't invited to the party, you didn't make the team, and so on and so on. My eight-year-old, my skating buddy, and I were recently at a small store in which my son and I frequently go to. We all three were there, and since I knew the worker there, the, the cashier, he, he said my name, spoke to me. He said my, he said my son's name and spoke, spoke to him, but he didn't know my daughter, and so he just smiled at her. We kept on browsing, and a bit later, I could tell something was on my daughter's mind, and she motioned at me to come down closer, and so I bent down towards her, and she said, Daddy, can you tell him to remember my name too? We all want to be known. We want to belong. And today, our text takes us to a woman who had suffered terribly. In her current state, she was an outcast, destitute and completely desperate. Her condition had led her to the end of her road, but down that long and lonesome road, Jesus was passing by. And when you have an encounter with Jesus, everything changes. I believe God's word in tandem with God's spirit have the, the power to change your life this morning. May we give his spirit free reign in our hearts and his word our full attention in this important moment. Meet me in Mark chapter 5, verse 25. We'll begin reading just these first few verses. 
Verse 25 says, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. This woman's illness was her identity. We can only imagine the pain and the pressure that exhausted her strength day after day. When you consider her many disappointments with doctors and the destitution it brought her, how no matter what she did, she only grew worse. You wonder how she persevered as long as she did. I wanna give you three words that defined who this woman was. She was unknown. She was unknown. In Mark's gospel, you may have noticed that apparently he enjoys a good sandwich. He communicates a number of narratives in which a subplot is inserted in the middle of a story. Serving as bookends to this account of the woman with an issue of blood is the story of Jairus and his daughter. In the middle of someone else's story, this woman's story is told. Jairus was an important ruler in the synagogue of Capernaum. He was a well-known religious leader. Jairus comes to Jesus pleading with him to come heal his ill 12-year-old daughter. Jesus is on his way to help her when this unnamed, unknown woman abruptly interrupts him. She's been ill for 12 years. We have no indication of the age of this woman. We have no record if she was married, if she lived alone, if she was homeless, if she had children. We can't be sure exactly where she was even from. People had gathered from all around. She was unknown. A second thing I want you to consider, she was unclean. This added a burden to her that bolstered her brokenness. According to the law in Leviticus, her condition made her ceremonial unclean, which greatly limited her religious and community life. Her condition caused her to live as a castaway, stranded from any meaningful social interaction. She couldn't be out in public without making it known that she was unclean. This was her identity. And for 12 years she had been doing this and she could never be clean according to the law. If she had a husband and she touched him, he would be unclean. If she touched a child, he would be unclean. If she touched a friend, they were unclean. Imagine not being touched by family or friends for 12 years, never experiencing physical touch, never hugged, never kissed, never holding a child or being even patted on the back, a life void of human interaction. Unknown, unclean, and she was considered unworthy. By every indication of the culture at this time, she was not deserving of effort, attention, respect, certainly not worthy of any interaction with the famed rabbi passing by. She was defined as unworthy. This woman was physically fatigued, emotionally exhausted, spiritually spent. She had tried everything and lost everything. She was left powerless and penniless. And we must admire her bravery and tenacity. In faith, she fights through a dense crowd in order to get to Jesus. People would open the way for somebody important like Jairus. But for a woman like her, an unknown, unclean, un. 
worthy woman? Certainly not. This is who this woman was. But this woman met Jesus. And I want you to consider what she experienced. First, I want you to see this. She experienced the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus. Verse 27 says this, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I can just touch his garments, I will be well. She musters up the courage to make the move. She goes towards Jesus as he's passing by. She's seeing this as an opportunity to be in his presence. Verse 28 tells us that she thought, if I can just touch his garments, I will be well. If I can just come into contact with him, I'll be healed. Verse 28 says, for she thought. The Greek text of 28 actually reads, for she kept saying. It was as if she was encouraging herself, talking to herself, uh, you can do this. You can go and see Jesus. We've all been there before, talking to ourselves before that important meeting or presentation or before walking out in the West Texas wind. You can do this. You can get through this. She acted in faith, leaving desperation and isolation, moving from pursuing every other avenue to pursuing the presence of Jesus. She was a bit sneaky about it. In contrast to others who approach Jesus directly, this woman cautiously and carefully comes up from behind him. Years ago, when my wife and I were first dating, we went to a concert. It was an outdoor concert, and we stood outside waiting to get in. And even though we'd just been dating for a little while, there was a couple in front of us, uh, some middle-aged folks who it was obvious they were on their first date. And it was kind of sweet and they were talking back and forth and they were learning about one another. My wife and I, my now wife and I were commenting on it. But I noticed as they were talking, you know how you buy a new pair of pants, now there's a thousand tags on it. There's 47 tags that have to be removed before you can wear that garment. Well, he had gotten them all. He had bought a new pair of pants, this is an important day but he had forgotten that one that's really, really long that has your size on it. That sticker, it's like the CVS receipt of stickers. Went all the way down the back of his leg and I could not handle it. I just knew that this was gonna be the impasse in their relationship. They were destined to have children and a beautiful life together, but that sticker stood in the way. So I waited, and believe it or not, I waited until we were kind of in a crowd and I could tell that the pant leg had separated from that man's skin. And yes, I did. (laughs) I reached up and grabbed the back of that guy's leg and I pulled that sticker away, covertly backed away with them never knowing. Maybe the most heroic act carried out in the name of love that I've been a part of to date. This woman sneaks up to touch his garment, not to help him, but to receive help. Courageously, but covertly, she comes into the presence of Jesus. Don't get too caught up in the way that you come to Jesus. 
just pursue him no matter the cost. She kept telling herself, if I could just touch his garment, I would be healed. She could have kept telling herself, he'll never want to talk to someone like me. He's already busy. He's already on a mission going to help someone else. Besides, why would he want to talk to me? I'm using him as a, a last resort. But she fights through those arguments and those excuses. And by faith, she pursues the presence of Jesus. There's a thousand excuses that can keep us from pursuing the presence of Jesus, but most of them center around us being too busy or or too hurried, or maybe we too think, "He he won't wanna talk to me, not with my past, not with what I even did today. Listen, he wants you to be in his presence. And if you are his family, you can come boldly before him. Tim Keller said the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. Those that recognize their desperate need understand that the fullness of life is only found in the presence of Jesus. Recently, I was listening to a podcast in which Michael W. Smith, the the famed contemporary Christian artist, was being interviewed, and he talked about his life before his career and his big Christian uh, touring uh, ministry, and he talked about how addiction and alcoholism and drug use had taken over his life. He said, I I began to think I was going to, to die from this. And after several scares from those kinds of situations, he began to cry out to God to help him, to to change him, to do anything, but just don't kill him. He said he became so depressed. He said it, it came to a head one night when he ended up in a heap on his kitchen floor, weeping, shaking, overwhelmed. He said, I'll, I'll never forget it. He said, I believe to this day God came down and got on that floor with me. He said, it was as if Abba Father came and laid beside me. He said, I've never been the same. How precious, how precious the presence of God. Jesus came down, God came down into humanity in the person of Jesus and went into the mess of this woman's story. Psalm 1611 says, you will, make, you will make known to me the way of life and your presence is fullness of joy. Just as this woman is in need, we too are desperately, daily in need to be in the presence of God. She experienced the presence of God and then the power of God. Look at verse 29. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had proceeded from him and gone forth, turned around the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Have you ever considered the crowd around Jesus? They were touching him, bumping him, running into him. In fact, the word that Luke uses in this account is the idea of being choked, that he was so hemmed in, being so crammed in by the crowd. Touched time and time again, and yet, only once he heals, he feels healing power come from him. 
from the one following him in faith. The Christian life can't be separated from faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter two, we walk by faith. Second Corinthians chapter five, we live by faith. Romans one, pastor and author, Dr. Paul Chapel said in its simplest form, faith is believing what God says and acting on it. It's treating what God says as truth before it even happens. And see what faith is, is not a, a matter of name it and claim it. It doesn't outweigh God's sovereignty and the absence of healing can't be blamed on flawed faith and neither can it be ascribed to a specific sin. And yet it's clear it was not the touch itself but the faith of the woman. This woman who had suffered for more than a day, decade is miraculously healed and she knew it. Jesus says, who touched my garments? He didn't say that for information, unlike your siblings when you borrowed their clothes without asking. But rather, this was to draw her out to the crowd. It could be phrased, who are you that touched my garment? He feels when power goes out in your life as well, when you reach out to him. It's a personal power that Jesus gives. Isaiah 40, 28 and 29 says, do you know, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired, he understands. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks power, he increases power. See, through Jesus, through the power of Jesus, the blind see, the lame walk, the sick are made well, Jesus brings people from death to life, demonic spirits obey, storms quiet by him just saying, peace, be still. And yet we often live our lives plugged into our own power, bogged down and broken down. Maybe like this woman, we need a fresh encounter, a fresh outpouring of God's power on our lives. George Muller said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory in God that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. She goes after Jesus. She experiences the presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and finally, the peace of Jesus. Verse 33 says this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened, to her came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, be healed of your affliction. Scripture says Jesus looked around the crowd and he scanned the throng. The word that Mark uses is, is peri. It's the word in which we get our word per perimeter to to look around, he looks around the crowd for her, scanning the throng to meet her. She comes down before him, and scripture says she says the whole truth. She's in trembling, scripture says. Maybe it was her trembling because she was violating the law, but certainly because of the astonishing power that she had just experienced. And the creator God in the flesh acknowledges this woman, sees this woman and says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in, go in peace, literally go into peace, which is interesting because Christ calls his people to that kind of peace. 
He says, go in peace, and as one scholar says, Jesus doesn't just throw that around as peace belongs only to those who have made their peace with God. See, this woman's life was chaos, but now she was in the presence of Jesus, experienced the power of Jesus, now called into the peace of Jesus, and she experiences nothing short of transformation, more than a physical healing, but by faith she too was spiritually healed. I like how the King James puts it, that her faith made her whole, not cured, not just healed, but, but whole. This woman who was unworthy was worthy of the time and attention of Christ, the Holy One of God. This unclean woman who was once defiled came into contact with the one who would willingly defile himself for his sake so she may be made clean. This unknown woman was now known. How do we know? Because the king of kings calls her daughter. She went from brokenness to belonging. Her identity moved from disregarded to daughter, from rejected to royalty. Her story is not so different from yours and mine. For those that put their faith in Christ, we have no healing apart from Jesus. And Jesus took upon himself all that was unclean in us and he took it to the cross, willingly defiling himself for us. The worthy for the unworthy, he makes us known, clean and worthy and there is no life outside of him. So why are we so slow to pursue his presence? Why do we rarely reach for him? Why doesn't his peace rule our hearts? Even as believers, we can walk through this life so burdened and broken, seemingly empty, hollow, and void of his power. Could it be that we've forgotten our desperate need for him? He's still the only answer and the only way, the only real source of strength and peace for your life. Are you still running after him? Are you still desperately seeking his presence? What is it today? Do you need to put your faith in him for the first time? To make him the Lord of your life? Do you need an outpouring of his power? Maybe someone to sit with you in your suffering. Do you need to just fall at his feet today and say, Jesus, thank you. The creator walked with people. He walked with them then and he walks with people today. The king is kind and easily moved with compassion. He loves the unlovely. He'll meet us in the messes of our lives, the ones that we've been hurled into and the ones that we make ourselves. Can you hear the commotion of the crowd today? Can you, can you see him coming our way saying, who touched me? Because see, he's still scanning the throng. He's still scanning the crowds today looking for those who would come before him and say, it's me, Lord, it's me, I need you.
Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I thank you that we have hope. God, I thank you for the healing power that is available to us through your son. God, it is true. Some of us spend days, months, years apart from your power, apart from your presence. And God, we, we don't have peace in our hearts. We have, we have chaos and we're unsettled. God, could it be that we, we need you to step into our story again? God, that we need to stop reaching for other things and reach for you. God, we ask today that you would come once again and pour out your power on our lives. God, we confess our deep need for you. God, we pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.